coming into the end of the book of Genesis. Come on. And this is the beginning of what I believe is the greatest story in the world. And the more I think we can see the whole Bible as one story, the more I think we can actually not only increase our own faith, but also be able to share our faith more adequately, as opposed to just finding little memory verses or verses of the day, but really seeing the whole story of God. And reading Genesis actually helps us be able to do that, because it gives us the beginning of the story. And so many people read the book of Genesis with a, with a really pure intent. I'm going to read the whole Bible and I'm going to get the, and they kind of, they, maybe they get through Genesis, maybe they get through Exodus, maybe, but they kind of start to hit some bumps in Exodus and maybe Leviticus and they kind of give up and they go, this God guy, you just can't understand him. But you can't understand him. I think we have to be able to read the Bible holistically. We have to read the Bible at length, which is hard for a lot of us, but to read the Bible at length, you get the whole story. And we actually had a great midweek recently where we read the entire story of Joseph without any commentary from us. No human commentary was added. It was just the Word of God, 14 amazing chapters. Um, and we, we read both this chapter and the one before. We're not going to actually preach on Genesis 38. But I'm going to give you some context of what happens because it is important. It is in the Bible. Um, but uh, Stephen preached on Genesis 37, which is Joseph's story. Joseph is born in this big family, lots of kids. Uh, and remember, this is the family of Jacob and you know, his two wives, the two sisters, both Rachel and Leah. And uh, many, many, many children are born to Leah. A couple kids are born to Rachel, uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And so as you can imagine, it was by far not even a competition. Jacob loved his wife, Rachel, the most. And so who ends up being the favorite? Well, her firstborn, um, Joseph. He's the favorite within this family. And I don't know about you, but up to this point in reading Genesis, it can be kind of fatiguing. It can be Sad because you read about all these kind of horrible sins. And a lot of them are very disgusting sins. Almost like if you don't feel uncomfortable reading Genesis, I don't know if you're reading it right, yeah. sort of thing. Like yeah. it should make you feel uncomfortable. Beginning with Abraham kind of saying to his wife, Sarah, she's not my, uh, she's not my wife. She's my sister, kind of giving up his wife to be had by anybody, uh, to be treated any number of ways by anybody. Uh, whether you go to Lot and his daughters and that whole horrible situation of there of of incest, and then you continue on with Jacob and marrying two sisters and then pitting, pitting them against each other and then having kids kind of as a quid pro quo sort of thing, like, I'll let you have a kid if you give me this. And it's just, it's all very weird and strange and, and honestly, it's sinful. This is a sinful family. Sometimes we read the Bible, we go, I don't like what's in there, but the reality is, is that just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God's proud of it. God is giving us a family to see, hey, listen, they have a lot of sin, just like you do. If we all actually walked up here with our our families, how different would it look, actually? The sins of the father, the sins of the mother, the sins of the siblings. Our families are sinful. We are sinful. But it can be like, God, is your plan really the best plan? Because you've chosen to work through a family, but they keep messing up. Like, maybe you should have a different plan. Like, are these really your people here? And so Joseph is this, this, this kid, and then another horrible thing happens where Joseph is a little bit spoiled, and let's not be, you know, unaware of why. Like, his dad favors him. So once again, parenting. If you're like, I, I really don't have any good topics for, you know, uh, family devos. Well, just, here you go, Genesis. Just pick something. Open, close your eyes and point in Genesis. And you have a family devo. Right there, like favoritism, like brothers uh, fighting. Uh, and so the brothers, basically, they're angry at Joseph. 
It's been 17 years. Joseph is a young man of 17. His brothers decide to sell him into slavery. Uh, after being talked down by Reuben, who is the oldest, Reuben says, guys, actually, let's not kill him. Let's put him in the well. Maybe Reuben thinks I'll come back later and save him, but it's too late. They've sold him off into slavery. Uh, and not only that, but they pretend like he's dead. They dip the, the cloak in blood, give it to dad, say, dad, you know, your son's dead. In not so many words. And then something happens in Genesis 38. Right when we're getting into the story, they go, oh, and something else happened. And it's something else entirely in Judah and Tamar. It's a really rough chapter of the Bible. Uh, it's a really graphic chapter of the Bible. Bottom line is, is that Judah, we know Judah, it's one of the sons. Judah basically has uh, a daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law's husband dies. And Judah decides uh, it's supposed to, he's supposed to take care of her. In ancient times, when you're, especially in a patriarchal society, when a woman's husband dies, she's, she has no protection. She could be raped. She could be killed. She could be, she could, anything could happen to her. She's got no money, no life insurance. So there's nothing to protect her. Bottom line is Judah does not take care of his daughter-in-law. He looks out for himself. Woohoo, big surprise. The entire family of Abraham up to this point has almost entirely looked after number one. They have made selfish decisions up to this point in the narrative and made one more. And just when we think, man, could it get any worse? We have a story, an interesting story, a story that is a story of hope. In Genesis 39 and verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant. Basically, he's like the steward of his entire household. It's a big deal. If you watch Downton Abbey, it's kind of like that, big, that main butler guy. He's like, I'm in charge. He's got a lot of power, right? For those who don't watch Downton Abbey, I don't know what to say. Yeah, that guy. So he kind of becomes this big deal here in the Egyptian household. Verse 5, from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. That is never good. Now Joseph, by the way, the Hebrew is Joseph had a nice figure and a lovely face. Exact Hebrew is only used. It's very nice for him. Uh, that exact phrase is used to get with only one other person in the whole book of Genesis. His mom. So his mom is, is a looker. Her son is a looker as well. Joseph is well built and handsome. Rachel's very own son there. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. 
Now, that's incredible because every one of his relatives would have gone to bed with her. They all have messed up sexually. They all have sinned sexually. All of them. Abraham. Oh, and then with Hagar. And, and it's not just the men, like the women. Sarah as well. Like, go with Hagar. Like, it's the men and the women. And just before this, with Judah and Tamar. I mean, it's like this whole family is addicted to sexual sin of some kind. And isn't it inspiring that the cycles of sin, you know, all of our families pass down dysfunction. I come from an incredible family. But... We all, we're all fallen. We're all human. We all pass down some kind of dysfunction. How inspiring it is that those gener- that generational sin, that pattern, can be broken. And it can be. And Joseph says no. And that is inspiring. That is encouraging. Even where we failed, we can see our kids. Our kids are going to be able to potentially be free from it. That is possible. And with Joseph, we see that he says no. Now, one day, verse 11, when he went into the house to attend to his duties, none of the household servants were inside. Uh Uh-oh. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You know, Joseph's really got to keep his clothes on because in chapter 37, his brothers take his cloak, dip it in blood. And here she gets his cloak. He's got to like get some kind of zipper thing or he's got to figure out because he keeps getting in trouble when the clothes are being taken off him. So he needs to get some kind of more enclosed outfit. I don't know. Something. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, or when she saw that he, uh, she had, that he had left her, his cloak in her hand, what a pronouns, and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew, yikes, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us, that you brought us, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, and placed him where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him great kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The title of my sermon is, How Could I? How could I? And Joseph here does something incredible. He actually does something righteous. It's a breath of fresh air when you're reading the book of Genesis. You go, oh, amen. Amen. We all like Joseph. There's a reason Joseph is given the most time in the book of Genesis. He's given... He's given almost the whole second half of the book. Joseph is a great character. He's not perfect. He's spoiled. He's arrogant. He brought a bad report about his brothers, which means he was putting them down. When you spoil a kid, you know, you're not setting them up for success, right? They're gonna, he puts down his brothers. He's not a perfect kid. But here, a 17-year-old boy, maybe a few years have passed. Maybe he's 20. You know how hard it would be? You know what the, most, the difficult time, most, most men face it, and most women too, I'm sure, but most men especially, the most difficult, difficult time resisting sexual temptation is that age range. It's a 20-year-old man. And here he is. And no. 
And he doesn't know anything, by the way, about his family. We know, but we, he, he doesn't know what happened. All he knows is his brother sold him into slavery, right? As a 17-year-old boy, they sold him for money to get rid of him because they hated him. Then they lied to their dad so that he would think. And, but, you know, but Joseph doesn't know that. And maybe Joseph's thinking, you know what? My dad loves me. He's always loved me. Maybe he knows he's kind of been the favorite. He's going to come after me. But year after year, maybe Joseph realizes dad ain't coming. My family's not coming. What do you think Joseph is feeling working at Potiphar's house? I mean, obviously, he's done a good job as a worker, but he's got to be feeling like rejected. He's got to be feeling like my family hates me. It's not just my brothers. It's my dad. Why hasn't he come for me? My dad hates me too? Family rejection is a deep-seated emotion. Most people either fall away from Christ or come to Christ in some fashion or have to deal with a lot of sin in the Bible studies, but most, most ways because of sin within the family. Mom did this, dad did this. And most people actually will say, if you share your faith, even at you know, a place like UVA or JMU, do you want to follow God? And they'll have a logical answer per se, but deep down there's some kind of usually emotional answer. I remember sharing my faith at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, this young man sitting on the steps, I can still picture it. And I talked to him. He said, God didn't exist. He was an atheist and God didn't exist. And so we talked and he gave his reasoning and I responded with some apologetics. And so finally we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally he goes, if God exists, why did my brother kill himself? And I said, Eureka, it's not about all these intellectual things you're saying. You, it's a deep seated emotional feeling. God can't exist because of what you feel about your brother's decision, which is related to how he felt about his mom, which is related to his dad. There's a whole bunch there. That guy's name was Justin. He actually, months later after I left, he became a disciple, which is great. But it just showed me, wow, a lot of times people give these answers, but it takes a long time maybe to get down to the heart. And we live in a world that struggles to get to the heart. You know, we, we live in a troubled world. And everyone is really good at trying to deal with the surface. You know, we've had a lot of shootings in our country, a lot of shootings. And it takes something to, to, for a shooting to occur. If you just take Newtown, Connecticut, right, 2012, Someone walks into an elementary school, one of the more horrific ones, right? You have a man, you have ammunition, you have a gun. And one of the big things that people talk about is, well, if you take away his weapon, maybe he'll be okay. But the reality is, is he's a troubled young man. The reality is, is that the world doesn't know how to help get to the heart of that troubled young man. And taking away a weapon, sure, maybe it could, maybe it couldn't help. I don't know. It's not the point. The point is, is that the world doesn't know how to help his heart. Because, you, you know, the same week, actually, in New Delhi, India... Six men walk onto a train, and they beat a woman to death with no weapons. The world is full of troubled people. We are those troubled people. But the world does not know how to deal with that. Because to say that we are special and that we are from God and that we actually have a greater purpose is to actually agree with those religious crazies. And they can't do that. So they say, well, we all just have to. But we know that we have the imprint of God on us. We know that in us is the essence of God. When Jesus is asked, to whom should I give, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, give me a coin whose image is on it. And they say, well, Caesar's. The next question should have been, well, should we pay or not? And he goes, well, look at yourself. Whose image is on you? Give to God what is God's. And his image is on you, so give yourself to God. We have the image of God on us. We have a greater purpose. And even though Joseph is surrounded by a family of sin, he does right. Even though we live in a world where sin is accepted and it is everywhere. Yeah. Think about ammunition if we use the same kind of analogy with the shootings. 
Think about ammunition. If you get up every day and watch Netflix, it tells you adultery is okay. And then you go to school where they tell you adultery is okay. And you go to work where they tell you adultery is okay. Ammunition, ammunition, ammunition. Then you struggle to have a quiet time and say, God doesn't exist. I'm not feeling close to God. And you wonder why you're angry, why you're frustrated. Because all this ammunition being poured into you throughout all of our days. And we feel like it's impossible to be able to be righteous in a sinful world. Because it is really, really difficult. It is. I find myself, as I get older, being able to watch less and less and less on television. I can't watch that. Well, Drew, it's okay. Nothing technically sinful about it, and it's fine, and it's fun. And I, I just, I can't be putting that into my brain. You think I want to see, like, someone cheat on his wife, and then everything turns out okay? Like, you think I want to see that? No, it's not going to turn out okay. It's going to kill the family. It's going to kill the relationship. And so, the ammunition gets put into our hearts. So the question is, how does Joseph... How does he do what he does? Because if we had like a list of all the, the things going against him, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be righteous here. He should blow it. He should struggle. He should fail. I mean, this kid from the dysfunctional family, right? Uh, you know, some of us are like, we have like need years of therapy because our dad was late to pick us up from soccer practice or something. None of us were sold into slavery by our siblings. You know, it's like this guy had some stuff going on. Some real deep stuff, but he does right. How does he do right? How is he righteous? How does he do it? How does this guy do the right thing? You know, I think in our world today, it's easy to say, I'll be righteous or I'll, be, I'll follow God depending on how I feel. And we make decisions based on emotions. And our world tells us this is the case. I feel like following God. I don't feel like doing it. I'll do it when I feel like it. Uh, one of the things about history is that it helps you realize that not everything's been this way. For a long time, people did the right thing even though they didn't feel like it. If you watch a World War II documentary, and Band of Brothers is a good one, not a documentary, but they have these interviews. All these guys, most of them have passed away now, but they interview them. And they're all from small farm towns, you know, in the middle of the country. And they ask them, why'd you go to war? Because you could have died, and especially guys who are volunteering to jump out of an airplane. The airplane was just invented. And most of their parachutes were like being sewn together by their wives. Like after the, like, oh, great. Thanks, honey, for making me my parachute. Like, do you have any background in that? No, I just, it's like, well, but they're jumping out of an airplane. It's not a perfectly good airplane. It's a perfectly like just invented airplane. And like, how are they doing it? And you ask all of them, you know what they all say? It was the right thing to do. It didn't matter what they felt. They had people in their town committing suicide because they couldn't go serve. We don't live in that world anymore. We live in a world that says, how do you feel? And I'm not saying one's right, wrong. I think God is the answer to this. We can't just listen to our culture, but we have to be aware that our culture has an impact on us. Amen. Our culture has an impact on us. And when so much is about how we feel, I don't like the the way the Bible makes me feel. I don't like the way people make me feel. It just, but to be able to make a decision regardless of how you feel, that is righteousness. In fact, it's how we choose Leaders in the church. Who's an elder? Who, who, who gets to be an elder in the church? What are the qualifications for being an elder? Somebody who's able to make stable decisions, not be given to too much wine, be married to but one wife. Someone who's able to make decisions and not be pulled and enslaved by their emotion. Who's leaders in the church? Who are people in the Bible that people, Jesus, Paul, I mean, Peter at first is a great example of what not to be and then gets there. But like, how can we choose to be able to make the right choice despite how we feel. Most of us are like, 
uh, yeah, I know I'm prideful, but whatever, I'm angry, so I'm just going to be prideful. I remember recently, I actually was, I was angry. And I remember the Holy Spirit came to me and he said, Drew, you shouldn't, you can't talk like that. You cannot say that to her. You can't. And I said back to the Holy Spirit, right? I said, I'm so angry, I don't care. And, it, and I kind of like pushed me back. And I was like, whoa, no bueno, right? I was like, what did I just say? I have the right to do anything because of how I feel. And it scared me. And I had to tell people, and I got advice, and I said, I, I don't usually get to that place of my emotion is so high, so big, so deep. I'm anchored so much in how I feel that what I know is right just kicked aside. And I think a lot of us can get to that scary place. The reality is, is that Joseph was set up for failure. Let's look at a few things that were set up. We're not set, setting, setting him up for success. Number one, right? Joseph is deeply hurt by his family. He's rejected. He's sold. He's abandoned. Joseph had every right to say, my family rejected me. I'm going to go do what I want. I'm going to go sleep with this woman because you know what? I deserve it. It was it's, sleeping with her. That's not nearly as bad as like selling someone into slavery, murder. Like my brothers, they should go to hell. I, oh, I mean, he doesn't do that. Right? What's the second thing? The second thing this is crazy. She asked him day after day. Think about like sometimes one victory and you're like, oh, I'm so victorious today. I had one temptation and I said, no, what a great day. But day after day, he says, no. You know, a lot of us say, and I'm just done with, I'm too tired. I'm done. It's been weeks. It's been months. Some of us, it's been seconds. It's been, been tempted with this temptation to lust for at least 30 seconds. I just can't. Right? And that, that's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real struggle. Yeah. I want to make light of it, but I think we realize that, wow, he, even though day after day, she, he says no. And the last one, I think is the, most, the biggest one, is it says that no one was around. Yeah. You know, I wonder what we are, who we really are. You know, the world is coming, the world's technologically advancing. Soon, uh, we're going to invent something where the pastor will have cameras and everybody's, as you, walk, as you leave, I'll just go to know where you are and see what you're doing. No, no, no. I don't want that. Neither do you. But there's so much oversight now. You know, they know where you are and I'll download an app. It'll be like, you must share your location with the app. And I'm like, I don't want to. Like, but we can't let you watch unless you share your location with the app. And I'm like, ah, oh, I want to watch. So I share my, how many apps know my location? I mean, they all know it. You know, we were getting onto the plane, and they were like, the airline was like, we're no longer doing passports. It's a facial recognition. And I, my brother was like, they'll have your face. I'm like, they already have my face. They all, everyone has my face. Everyone's got it. You know, like, we, we're, anyway, tangent. But I wonder who we are when we're alone. Who we are when we're here, but who, what do we watch when we're alone? What do we say to ourselves? What do we say to somebody else at work when no other disciples are around? What do we say to our friends at school, teens, when no one's around? How do we act when mom and dad aren't around? These are really tall orders. These are incredible. How is Joseph able to be righteous? How is he able to do it? The answer is in his, the answer is in his words, in his answer. Did you notice what he says? Uh, he says, one, he gives her two reasons, right? One, he says, look at all I've been given. Look at all I've been given. All the responsibility I've been given. Do you know how, and he, he's, he's basically implying gratitude. You know, in Ephesians 5, it says, do not be sexually impure, but be thankful. Yeah. A lot of times the antidote to sexual 
Impurity is not sexual purity. It's gratitude. When you're grateful, you actually don't want that anymore. Anyway, what do we... He said, I could never. And then he says, how could I do such an evil thing and sin against God? The times in the Bible when people come to true repentance, you know how you know? Because they say, I've sinned against God. You know how someone in the Bible studies is ready to be baptized? They really see their sin? It's not, yeah, I could be a better husband. It's not, yeah, I could work harder. It's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I've sinned against God. In Psalm 51, when David writes his psalm after sexually sinning with Bathsheba, what does he say? I have sinned against you, you only God. When the prodigal son in Luke 15 comes to repentance, what does he realize? I have sinned against heaven and against you. Joseph is able to not think about, should I sin? Well, I deserve it. Well, I'm rejected. I feel bad. Well, I feel lonely. Well, no one's here. Well, it's been day after day. No, he thinks, how could I do that to God? The beautiful thing about that perspective is nothing can ever affect it. How is Joseph able to be grateful? How? In this situation. He was the favorite in a rich family. He's grateful. And then, by the way, if you've noticed, he's kind of like, you know, wrongfully terminated based on his race. She plays it up, doesn't she? Xenophobia. She goes, you know, this Hebrew, this foreigner you brought to us, this Hebrew you hired. I mean, my goodness. All the, Joseph could be, he goes to prison. He should have been killed based on Levitical law, but he's not. So that suggests maybe Potiphar was, you know, that just impressed by him that he sends him to prison instead of killing him. But you know what's amazing? Is the question for us is how do we do the same thing? When we're slandered for things we did not do, when we're prejudiced, when people look at us with prejudice, people lie about us, even if people put us down because of our, the way we look or the way we act, or if we try to be righteous and people make fun of us. You know, Joseph is the first person in his family to be sexually pure, really. And you know how he's rewarded? Prison! So it's just because you do the right thing and, and it goes, well, I did the right thing and, they bro- and she broke up with me. Fine! Was it right? It was right. Who cares? I did the right thing and I got a bad grade. Was the right thing? Yeah. Who cares? Well, I did the right thing and I just was stressed all the Was it the right thing? Who cares? Do the right thing. A lot of times we think, what will I gain from it? Should I, should I have a quiet time? What will I gain from it? Is it right to have a quiet time? Should I pray? What will I gain from it? Should I be nice at church? Should I forgive? Is it the right thing? The thing I want to close out with today is... Three times in this, in this story, it says, God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And I kept thinking, well, then why is he here? If God's with Joseph, shouldn't God was with Joseph. So God allowed Joseph to go back to Israel and he allowed it to be right away, immediate. No, God was working in his situation. God had plans in his situation. Then at the very end, right, in verse 21, it says, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness. The word there for kindness in the Hebrew is hesed, which is a word used throughout the entire Bible to mean steadfast love. Wow. I will, if you ever see it, I will not take my steadfast love. Why does love have to be steadfast? Because people make mistakes. People sin. And so this week, 
when you are tempted, and you will be, you'll be tempted today, and it won't just be sexually, it'll be tempted in any number of ways. Tempted to not have a quiet time, tempted to hold a grudge, tempted to be lazy, tempted to do something for yourself, tempted to act based on how you feel instead of what's right. You're tempted to do those things. What's best to do is just follow Joseph's example and say, how could I? How could I? Because what that does is it leads you immediately to gratitude. How could I just not have a quiet time after what God's done for me? How, how could I flirt with this girl at work after what God's given me? How could I cheat on this exam? How could I spend day after day after day not talking to anybody about, about him? How could I after what he's allowed me to have, after what he's given to me? Yeah. How could I lead you exact, exactly to gratitude, directly to gratitude? And when you ask how could I, not should I, or what would I gain, or let me make a pros and cons list, but you're actually not uh, motivated by guilt, you're motivated by grace. Because it's, of course I'll do it. I'll do the best I can, because I love God. It doesn't matter, oh, I didn't go, that's all right. I just, I know God, he's steadfast with me, I can be steadfast with him. You know, in a family full of selfishness, Joseph is the first one to show self-control. Yeah. And he shows self-control, but he also doesn't consider himself. He considers God and what he's doing. I am so excited about this men's purity group. You know, I asked for volunteers, and Josh Riggs just raised his hand. He says, I'll do it. I'll lead the group. Now, Josh has been a Christian for half a year, right? He's been, he got baptized earlier this year. But he says, how can I do it? What do I do? Where is it going to be? What can I? He's asking all these questions because he realizes the men and the women as well. But I think in this scenario, we need the men, right? But the men need each other. But we need to help each other ask that question of how could I? Because we live in a world that's not doing that. And he's taking a stand. He's going to host it at his house. He's going to go for it. He's going to lead it. And that's an incredible, beautiful thing. And for any of us who don't go because we think, oh, I don't struggle with that. How how dare you? There are men in this church who are dying. And by the way, you probably don't realize that you do struggle with it. And if we only attend events because we won't benefit or we won't gain anything. Yeah. What are we doing? Right. How could I? If we only do things because we want to do them, how are we different from them out there? Yeah. How are we different from the world? We know that we have a greater purpose. Yeah. God has called us to not be selfish, but to be self-controlled and to be selfless. And there's another favorite son, right? Joseph is a favorite son. There's another favorite son 2,500 years later yeah. who's also sold who's also given 30 pieces of silver for his death, who's also rejected by the people who love him most. And he, day after day, he's tempted, but not just tempted. Day after day, Jesus was tempted in every way. And in the same way that, that, that no one is around with Joseph, when Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, no one is around. God especially is not around. God had to leave Jesus because he took on your sin. And just finally... As Joseph is sentenced to prison for doing good, Jesus lives a sinful, perfect life for you and is sentenced to hell. Prison. Peter says he goes to prison for preaches for three days, right? In the belly of the fish. Jesus did the right thing for all of us. We are in love with Christ because we see how much his steadfast love changes our, our perspective. Because it's not just intellectual, it's emotional. It can't just be, I know the right thing. It's got to be, you feel the right thing. 
It can't just be, I know what I should do, but it's got to be, but I, I just can't bring myself to even do it. I can't even imagine myself in that scenario because it's, it's just so, we got to have a reverence for God and a love for God. That means we have to change our ammunition. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just can't have 12 hours of ammunition of vengeance and hatred and racism and, and, and greed every day and think you're going to be okay. Right. One day in your own school, you will commit an act of violence. You will sin. You, it'll, you'll be fed up and you'll think, how did I get here? And the world will go, how did they get there? Because they, were, they didn't have the right ammunition. So every day, church, every day I want to encourage us, make decisions to ask, how could I? Yeah. How could I? Be around people who will ask the same question. Yeah. Have quiet times, read, pray. Do it. Don't just do intellectual things with God. Do emotional things with God. Go on a date with God. Say, sorry, hubby, I got a date with God tonight. Yeah. We're going to the park and we're going to have a little meal. And I'm going to eat his and mine. It's going to be great. <laughs> Go on it. Spend emotional time with God. We've got to not give God just our minds. We've got to give God our heart. And when we not just know God's steadfast love, but we feel God's steadfast love, whenever Potiphar's wife comes knocking, we will be able to say, how could I? Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.